Hey everyone, and welcome to this next episode of the Tax Security Podcast, where we talk about all things Cisco security, including configuration, troubleshooting, hot issues, and what else? A bunch of stuff that tax sees. A bunch of tax stuff. Um, and yep. today we've got kind of a different episode. We're going to be talking about the new version of the Identity Services Engine and to talk about how what those new features are and how to upgrade and some good tips and tricks. First, we have uh, Jesse Dubois from the AAA team in Research Triangle Park, North Carolina. Hey, Jesse. How are you doing? Hey, how's it going? It's going good. So today, I think we want to talk about the uh, upcoming ICE uh, 1.2 version. Yep. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, new features, uh, why you'd want to upgrade, the upgrade process, uh, and then we're going to talk about some tips and tricks to make your deployment successful. Okay, cool. And we've also got Aaron Wooland, a TME for the Identity Services Engine. Aaron, tell us about, um, I know you were just doing a bunch of presentations at Cisco Live. How did those go? Um, well, I think the presentations went very well. There's a lot of interest out there for Identity Services Engine. It seems that uh, uh, the majority of the people attending the sessions now have it deployed versus uh, a couple years ago where everyone was just trying to figure out what it is. Okay, and how many people were in your sessions this year? I know a couple years ago there were lots and lots, many hundreds. How many did you have this yeah. year? Yeah, so I, I think my sessions totaled up to be um, just under a thousand. Whoa! <laughs> that is a lot of people. That that would be a scary group of people to present to. What was well, your biggest well, session? It wasn't in one group. I mean, it was, uh, you know, 360 in one group, 380 in another group, and then uh, like 50 in another group. So... I don't even yeah. think I know 380 people. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I live I live in a bubble. Well, uh, and we've also got Mr. Magnus Mortensen, a longtime panelist. How's it going, Magnus? Things are going very good. I'm I'm happy to be done with Cisco Live this year. You know, you know as well as I do, it's a lot of work getting into it. And then, you know, once everything's all taken care of, you just kind of relax. You take a little breather. Yeah, all the all the labs worked out. Yeah. Uh, the network worked really well this year, which is great. And uh, we saw some fans. Uh, we, we, we did a live podcast taping, uh, which we had an episode on, and um, we did a shout out there for some of those some of those folks. So thanks a lot for attending Cisco Live. But let's go ahead and jump right down into it. So ICE 1.2, this is a big release. Um, Aaron and Jesse, tell us why this is such a big deal and why we're so excited about this new version. Well, I think one of the, the you know the biggest things about this release is we, we've learned a lot over the last uh, year and a half having uh, ICE 1.1 out in the field. Um, we've taken everything we've learned in you know that year and a half and applied it to the ICE 1.2 release. So specifically talking about scalability, usability, serviceability, um, hopefully probably easier to use. Okay, and Aaron, why don't you talk about some of those specific new features and how customers can employ those? Oh, absolutely. Well, talking about how they can deploy might take a little more time, but we can certainly talk about some of the new things. One of the, the, the biggest new things that are coming with ICE 1.2, uh, of course, is the movement from 32-bit to 64-bit uh, version of code. So, you know, we're able to address a lot more memory. Uh, we'll be addressing 32 gigs of RAM on the big boxes, um, which is going to, uh, to Jesse's point, increase the performance and so on. We've got a completely new model of replication under the covers. It's things that you don't really see unless you've got a firewall between these nodes, but that this is a much more scalable uh, replication model for this. Um, there's a lot of, of things that may sound small, but they're gonna be really huge for usability. Yeah, um, and for instance, with profiling, um, you always had to create these identity groups and you would create these identity groups to match each profile and it, it got very, 
complex and made your, your rule set kind of large. And uh, we've moved away from that in 1.2 to be able to use just the attribute of the profile itself and not have to create identity groups anymore. So I can have identity groups and profiles be two completely different things now. Yeah, and along um, with the, some of the other profiling changes, um, you know, we're, we're introducing a profiler feed service. Uh, so hopefully as new devices hit, hit the market, uh, we'll see those uh, be automatically pushed down to Identity Services Engine if the administrator chooses so. Uh, it's an opt-in service. Oh, so, so it's going to like call back like to Like an automatic update from Cisco? Yeah, so now along with uh, automatic updates to posture policies and client provisioning applications, uh, we're adding profiles to that, that feed service. Uh, so you'll be able to subscribe to that and pull down uh, policies for new devices as, as they come out. Uh, right. We're, we're and, and, and as we're, we're putting this into a feed service, it actually, in 1.2, we're breaking this into two different pieces. So the first one is, is anytime the IETF updates their listing of OUIs for MAC addresses, um, we are literally checking with them every 20 minutes. Um, and then your ICE node will get an update at whatever time it's scheduled to automatically update itself uh, with Cisco once a day. Um, and then the second half of that are the actual policies that make up those profiles. So for instance, we have a team from the business unit that has recently gone to a medical center and converted um, 9,000 unknown devices uh, down to 500 actually. Um, and those are going to be requiring more manual intervention. Now, the 15 or 20 new profiles that came out of that got added to this feed service. So while it's not a new device, it is a new profile for Cisco, and that will come out in the feed service so that if you happen to be a medical center, you'll automatically get those new profile updates from Cisco. Right, and this will just take administrative load off of you know the, the administrator of the ICE system uh, and be able to, you know, we'll get those automatically now. Yeah, it, so it sounds like before, essentially, the admin would have to create their own device profiles, their own device attributes. Right, so you'd have to do packet captures, or yeah. you'd have to look at the devices that are in there and determine, you know, how do I differentiate this device from another device using all of those attributes. I guess, yeah, for bring your own device, people are mm -hmm. starting to bring their own devices, right? And now, you know, you got more and more of a dispersed ecosystem of stuff. So now it's, I guess this is going to help us out in the tech as well, because you're not going to hopefully have as many customers that are um, having trouble profiling. They're going to pull down the automatic list, and uh, they'll get those profiles and be able to employ them right away. Right. It's a very common case to have somebody call in and, and need assistance profiling a, a certain device. Um, just kind of with all these improvements, uh, we're going from an endpoint count of about 100,000 in 1.1, and we're going up to about 250,000 uh, to scale in, in 1.2 using two admin nodes, two monitoring nodes, and 40 policy services nodes uh, up across to that. 40 policy up to, services. yes, up to 40 policy services. I don't want thinking they have to deploy 40. Right. <laughs> they, they can if they want, but... Absolutely. <laughs> um, Cisco and, stock might increase a little bit. <laughs> right, and along with that, uh, one, of the, one of the big problems in 1.1 was our ability to log all of that data. Uh, so another, some of the other improvements coming in 1.2 are uh, log suppression and then misbehaving client suppression. So if a if one client authentic uh, fails authentication over and over in the same way, we're going to suppress that client for a time period by default 60 minutes. Uh, we added log filtering, so if you have uh, probes coming from your switches or probes coming from your load balancer, 
we're gonna you can filter those not log them we don't care we don't care to log them we care that they're there because they're keep alive but we don't care to log those right yeah so one, one of my customers with uh, 22,000 switches and each one of the switches is sending a probe once an hour um, it's just an awful lot of probes to be showing up in your logs and then you know you don't want those probes skewing your reporting on successful authentications or failed authentications either you know, so by filtering them at the policy service node, we ensure that they don't even show up in the reporting unless they're anomalous. Okay, got it. So it sounds like, you know, we've got some scalability features, also some usability features and some, you know, core updates, but also there's some under the hood changes as well. It sounds like the 64-bit is big. This is a major release for ICE, right? It is. There this are is. many, yeah. many architectural changes that, that the end user will never see. Um, just going back to your usability change, I think this is some something that people were asking for for a while. I'm going to a policy set. So if you're familiar with ACS5 at all, uh, we've now introduced uh, service selection policies, basically what policy sets are. It allows you to group like sets of policies and just for ease of, ease of administration. So is this a uh, – go ahead, Aaron. Oh, sure. I was going to say, to elaborate on that a little bit, because that's one of the features I really pushed for um, was policy sets. Um, and to elaborate on that a little bit, what, one of the things you can do is if you have different capabilities on different um, network devices, for instance, you don't want to be sending an advanced Cisco result to, say, an, an older Cisco switch or uh, a non-Cisco switch. So you may have a separate set of policies just for those types of switches is one good example of it. Another one may be to separate your VPN policy out from your wireless and wired policy because you're not going to be doing uh, the same VLAN type assignments or send down the same type of enforcement mechanisms. It allows you to really group and organize and logically um, set up your policy in a way that's much more usable. And then the last feature, uh, this is the big kind of feature that we put into ICE 1.2 is external MDM integration. Uh, so you'll be able to integrate with... What, what, what's MDM stand for? Yeah. Uh, mobile device management. Okay. So okay. Basically, you register your iPhone or your BlackBerry or your Android device to this MDM vendor, and they can do posture on the device. You know, check for pin lock. Um, you can do a remote wipe, uh, either selective wipe or full wipe of the of the system. Should your device be lost, uh, and you're going to be able to initiate some of those features through the device portal on uh, on Identity Services Engine. Well, that sounds like a, a pretty useful thing for you know your enterprise customers that have such you know sensitive information out there on mobile devices now uh, Aaron you, you mentioned that a lot of your customers uh, and what you notice at Cisco live is that people are now uh, coming to you with questions not about how to design it but they already have it in their environment right and they're having questions about how to move forward now Absolutely. for those customers uh, what's kind of the upgrade path to get to 1.2 it sounds like there's a lot of new features you know are there some big gotchas or things that we need to look at when we want to do an upgrade well and also is 1.2 a preferred release do, uh, do we want customers to go ahead and upgrade to pick up those yeah. benefits okay well these are uh, these are good questions I'll, I'll start with the first one uh, I'll start with the second one first um, yes um, you know my recommendation would be to upgrade to it we've been um, 1.2 has actually been out in the wild and, and running in customers for a good bit of time. We, t we really took our time deploying this. We have it deployed with uh, a few customers, 16 specifically. We've been watching really, really closely uh, for the last few months. Um, this is 
post beta but before we released it to the public just to make sure that this was going to be the stable best practice release to go to and when we're talking um, about customers we're yeah. talking about dirty environments where these are college universities these are uh, K through 12 schools not a Cisco lab somewhere right these aren't Cisco labs these aren't enterprise customers these are dirty environments where we could really test the stress on uh, on the system I'm not so sure how they would feel about you calling them dirty though they're just <laughs> <laughs> inappropriately wild environments the wild there west. you go there yeah. we go wild so yeah so you know that you always want to read the upgrade guide and the release notes before you attempt the upgrade especially in this case um, the, like I mentioned before we do have some new things under the covers there's a brand new replication model where we've gone away from this sort of slow guaranteed delivery replicator to one that's actually going to use multicast within local groups and it will use TCP on new ports uh, for global replication changes, changes that must reach beyond its local set of uh, nodes. And uh, so there will be some port changes and firewall rules that may need to be modified for you. Um, another thing you always want to do after you read the upgrade uh, guide in the release notes is you always want to make sure that you have a, a solid backup, a successful backup of your system both before and after the upgrade. Right, and in, in, with the config backup, we want to make sure we, you back up the certificates individually. Uh, that's one of the more time-consuming processes is to go back to your certificate provider uh, and have to get new certificates. So make sure you save those along with the private key. Oh, and remember your passwords to your private keys. I'm sure you've gotten a few cases where people have forgotten those and ended up with uh, no provisioning or nothing they can do. Right, and many times in, in, a, in an environment, the, the person who's administering ICE is not the, you know, not the administrator that's going out and getting the certificate, so it takes a little bit of interaction there. Same uh, with Active Directory. Uh, you're, you are going to have to rejoin your nodes to Active Directory after the upgrade, so make sure you have those credentials uh, available to you after the upgrade, or have your administrator on, on hand uh, to do the joining uh, after the upgrade. So the, the upgrade process itself is something we worked really, really hard on for 1.2. Um, anyone who's gone through an upgrade of a previous version of ICE has felt this pain of having to break the node off, make it standalone from the deployment, then proceed to do the upgrade, then you know start joining all these other nodes back together into a new, what I call a cube, or what we, we tend to call it a cube, a new deployment basically that's, that's the upgraded version. Uh, when you upgrade from ICE 1.1 or 1.1.1 and you come to um, a 1.2, you do not have to break it apart. You do not have to go standalone first. You just We do what we call secondary pan first. So you start with your secondary administrative node and it sort of tells the rest of the cube, the rest of the deployment, that he's beginning the upgrade process. And after, when the other ones upgrade to 1.2, come talk to it automatically and rejoin this new 1.2 cube. And I think this is the point in Aaron's presentation where there was applause. There, there was, actually, <laughs> yes. There was a lot of applause at that one. Yeah. So uh, this is something that, that definitely has been needed. Um, it makes the process much, much, much faster. Um, we could go into a lot of the under-the-cover details, but I don't want to burn all the time uh, for the, the for this podcast just discussing that. We're going to have um, um, we're going to have both of those presentations uh, in the show notes at the end. Uh, so if you'd like more details on on that, the the two networkers presentations will be included in the show notes. 
One other thing to note about uh, the upgrade is if you're upgrading the virtual machines, don't forget after the upgrade is complete to go back into the properties of that virtual machine itself and modify the operating system from the Red Hat Enterprise Linux 5 that was 32-bit to change it over to the 64-bit version uh, within VMware. What happens if you don't do that? Uh, I've actually not had any problems with it, but um, in order to be uh, following best practices of VMware, I would make sure that that is done. Yeah, I guess it makes sense to ensure the guest operating system is set correctly. Yeah. Right. And then another post-upgrade task, uh, one of the behind-the-scenes changes was splitting the guest user database from the local database. Uh, so anywhere you have your local database defined inside of identity store sequences, you're going to now see a guest users database there. Uh, so if you don't want guest users in a specific identity store sequence, make sure you go and remove that from the sequence after the upgrade. Okay, so that's a lot of things to remember. Um, we'll include a link to, I guess, the release notes for 1.2. Is that what's going to contain the uh, upgrade path and all of these best practices? Right, so use the upgrade, the uh, release notes and the upgrade guide for okay. your source for all of these. They are mentioned, uh, the upgrade guide has a best practices section at the beginning with all of these uh, different caveats. So make sure you read those carefully before starting the upgrade. But if you follow all those instructions, uh, it should work great and you'll be running 1.2. Um, and we've had customers be very successful doing that, right? Yes. Okay. Absolutely. So let's say I'm not upgrading, right? Let's say this is my first foray into the land of ice, right? I want my own ice. It, wait, you guys call it an ice cube? We call it an ice cube. Oh, my. Uh, <laughs> well, you know what? It's catchy, so today, good, good today job marketing is a good day. <laughs> today is a good day, yes. Um, but in all honesty, if I'm deploying a brand new ice installation and uh, I want to go to 1.2, what are some things I want to keep in mind or some things I want to you know, make sure I've got in line before I start doing my own ice installation? I'll let Aaron take this first section since he's very passionate about uh, the first topic. <laughs> so you would think that Jesse would be more passionate given that he receives the phone calls that are um, where problems have ensued more than I do. But one of the most common things that I know TAC gets called with and that, uh, that end up getting escalated up to guys like myself sometimes is that the, the, the VMware um, guest machine was provisioned incorrectly. So the thing to understand about ICE is ICE is an appliance. So it is either a physical appliance or a virtual appliance. And therefore your virtual appliance must match the specs of the physical appliance to a T. Um, one of the people love to use VMware because it's, it's really good at oversubscribing hardware and providing you know, on-demand access to banks of memory, banks of disk, banks of processor. Um, the issue is, is ICE is expecting um, the physical appliance performance, and we are really using it. This is a high-performance appliance. You know, typical, you know, on our 32 gigs of memory that we have in the new 3495 appliances, we will typically see 30 gigs of memory in use. You know, we have in-memory databases that need to be written to, and they expect that memory to be available in real time. So if you're oversubscribing that hardware, you can have some, some disappointing results, either from performance or sometimes even corruption, because the memory wasn't really there in order to write to it. And right. I guess that reflects the speed. You, you, we need that speed to read and write from directly 
in memory so that we can you know make these database changes and updates fast. Right, and Absolutely. the last thing you want to have happen on a Monday morning at 8 a.m. is to come in and have users unable to log into the network because you undersized your VMs. Okay, so the moral of the story is make sure to you know read the guide and provision that much or more if you can, I guess. Go big and or go home. Well, you yeah. want to set your reservations on VMware. You can set reservations so that the minimum amount that will be available is, is set where it needs to be. But you can also go ahead and set those maximums so that you can ensure that you're not allowing ICE to take more than the you know, uh, total amount of CPU that it should have, right? So I, I, we always recommend you've got to set your reservations, but it's never a bad idea to also go ahead and set those maximums. Right, and in your high-level design, right, the, the system's being spec'd, you know, for those appliance. Number of users, I guess. And right, number of users, network. number of endpoints, number of authentications, yeah. and that's all being described in your high-level design. Um, so you don't, you know, if that's described in the high-level design, you don't want to deviate from that. Uh, a lot of problems in 1.1 came from, you know, high-level design being written well, and then the high-level design being deviated from without revisiting sizing. And what do those TAC cases look like? Like, I guess some users can't log in, or it's an intermittent issue, maybe. Yeah, some users can't log in, you know, the, the database filling up faster than expected, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the amount of sessions on the PSN being exceeded so that you start dropping users. Okay. Well, I know that we've actually talked a lot about this before on other podcasts about ICE, but a lot of what Jesse and I are describing to you today, this is all new things um, or lessons learned since the last time that we've had a podcast. So, you know, one of the things that was implemented in a patch of 1.1 um, dot whatever uh, that we pulled forward into 1.2 is, is something called endpoint attribute filters. Um, or endpoint suppression. You, you hear it called both things. Um, ultimately, when you check this box off, you're saying, don't bother collecting attributes that we're not using in our profiling policies as they are today. Um, and also then, therefore, don't replicate all that data out to all the other ICE nodes which maintain copies, right? When you know, we're not actually going to use the data that you're talking about replicating. So, right. So it sounds a, like if we're not caring what kind of device, there's no reason to record what kind what of device, yeah. right? Well, it's not necessarily a device type, but it's attributes of that device. So, you know, you may not care that an Apple device has a user logging in from a certain Active Directory group, right? Yeah. So we don't store that under the endpoint. Mm -hmm. um, we may not care about every single DHCP attribute. So only store the, the actual attributes that we, we, we care of. Yeah, right. you know, we care about. And then as you, so what we do is we end up building a whitelist based on the policies that are built on your system, right? So that whitelist gets uh, turned on and it says, these are the attributes that matter in order to, to meet the policies that you have implemented. And if you create a new profiler policy that says that this device is a McKesson, I don't know, IV pump or whatever, and you need attributes X, Y, and Z to determine that, well, attributes X, Y, and Z will get added to that whitelist now. Right. And this was a big source of, of replication issues in, in 1.1. Because we just so much data. Right, there's just too much data. Yeah. It sounds a lot yeah. more efficient. Mm -hmm. it's, it's much, much more efficient. Something else that really changed in, in 1.2 is the, the way that we utilize certificates on ICE. And these are the certificates of the ICE server itself, which is your RADIUS server. Much like when a client goes to a secure web page, you know, you open up your browser and you go to HTTPS slash slash yourbank.com, 
right? You know, you are trusting the certificate of that server to form a TLS tunnel, right? And then your credentials and everything that you do through that web page now are, are secured in this tunnel. Um, EAP does much of the same thing. So extensible authentication protocol, which is what uses 802.1, you know, 802.1x uses that, will also do that where, you know, every client has to trust every radius server that's going to authenticate it. So what we saw at a number of these customers, especially these, the dirty customers, as, as Jesse was calling it, where you've got the skateboarding effect and you've got this kid and he's got a backpack and he's got a, an iPhone and he's got an Android tablet and he's got a PlayStation portable and he's got a laptop and he's, he's got five devices on him literally and he's skateboarding from building to buildings, roaming on your wireless with each time. Um, and, and what is happening in these use cases was, was outrageous. And this is actually you know? a true story. This, this happened oh, okay. at one of the universities. You were seeing oh, yeah. people moving no, around? This, skateboarding thing, this is an absolutely true story <laughs> of one of our customers. They had 6,000 BYOD-style devices. That's it. Right? And they were seeing 10 million authentications a day. <laughs> wow. Of those 10 million authentications, they were seeing 9 million failed. So you got to ask yourself, why are they seeing so many failed authentications when obviously they're able to succeed from time to time? And, and what it was is that not all supplicants, not all clients that know how to authenticate to a network right, are, are following, say, a trusted list. Um, Jesse, you open up a browser and you go to your bank. That bank has a certificate that's signed by, say, VeriSign or or SSL.com or GoDaddy or somebody, and you trust that signer, and therefore you trust that certificate. Well, the, the network authentication piece was not following that guideline. The, the clients were not trusting any cert that was signed by someone they trusted. Right, and one of those being you know Apple iDevices. So with an Apple iDevice, even if you trust the root certificate, a Apple installs the identity certificate presented by ICE into that wireless profile. So if you have six policy services nodes, you have to accept the certificate from each policy services node even uh, though you already trust the root so certificate. So you, you're in building A, you trust that certificate. Then you go across campus, you're in building B, which gets a new certificate. You're presented with a new certificate for authentication, right. which you don't trust because you're not, you don't have it in your hand and you don't click accept or whatever. Right, but, exactly. Uh, and it just sits there and continues to fail. And it'll fail, what was it, every 30 seconds? Wow. Every 30 seconds it will retry, right? And so, and what happens is it would time out. So it would start the session and ICE or any radius server is going to send down a certificate to the client and say, okay, trust me to form this tunnel. And the client would say, I don't trust this certificate. And instead of responding with a reject, it would just go silent. No, I would leave it open. Uh, yeah, and so good. you would see these timeouts happening after you know, the client hasn't responded in a 120 second timeout. And you were just filling up your logging with all of these failed attempts. Right, so, right? Th so the, the takeaway from from this was a, a best practice to configuring certificates and there you can do one of one of two um, for one way you can have a common they, they both include a common CN so by common CN I mean it's gonna be a name common across your PSN so say um, PSN you know is policy services node uh, on with ice but so it'd be PSN.cisco.com 
And then in your sand field, you'd have all of your individual policy nodes. So PSN one, two, three, um, dot X. And, and for, for those viewing at home here, the sand field is a subject alternative name field. Right. It's another, it's another way for a browser to uh, com take that name in that URL that you provided and, and resolve that to that certificate. Okay, so it's a m multiple different names can match, and that's what you're doing there. You're using one cert. And then, uh, right, so you're installing that one cert in your profile. Okay. And then next time, now, so if you go to A, you're getting that certificate. If you go to building B, you're, you're getting, getting that, that same, same certificate. certificate. But you trust That's it. the okay. key right there, guys, is yeah. that it has to be the same certificate that you're installing across all your radius servers, across all the PSNs. So it's the exact same certificate. Then the client already trusts it. Right. And then the downfall to that, though, is that every time you add, a, so say you, you're at six policy nodes yeah. and you want to add more users. So now you need two more policy nodes. Well, now you have to redo that certificate on all your nodes. But that makes sense. So a way around that uh, is to use a wildcard in the, in the uh, sand field. So star.cisco.com. So that way that matches any URL. Uh, that you were you could potentially go to, and this covers you know your sponsor portal, uh, your get your guest URL, the my devices portal if you change the URL. Um, so that's yeah. a and SANS can get expensive. Uh, you know the any provider you go to is going to charge you per SAN entry in the certificate. Oh, okay. So. Right. So that's why using a wildcard in the SAN field keeps that down because technically you only need two entries in the SAN field now. Your original name, which, as Jesse said, like psn.cisco.com, and then the wildcard itself, the star.cisco.com. And then, you know, you don't have to put list each and every one, so you're only pulling two SAN, the cost of two SAN entries instead of 20 if you have 20 policy service nodes. All right, and that's a good point. I didn't stress that originally, but you need to have... It, your name that you include in the common name, the CN field, needs to be in the SAN field as well. Okay. And there's one more point to bring up because many of the listeners to your podcast probably already have wildcard certificates. And in their wildcard certificate, they're putting the wildcard in the subject line as part of the CN, the colloquial name. And so, you know, that CN of star.cisco.com will work for most devices. But what we found in all our testing is Microsoft does not support that. So any Microsoft supplicants that are written by that company are going to fail when you have a star dot whatever in your subject line. So you can't put the, uh, a typical wildcard certificate there. That's why we're moving it down to the sand field because now it's working for every single device we could throw at this. And we threw a lot at it. Right. No, that's fantastic. And that really helps our customers. And this is uh, new in version 1.2? The yes. wildcard is new in 1.2, yes. Okay. You could do this in 1.1 with uh, individual individual uh, subject alternative name entries, except you had to create your certificate signing request on uh, a separate Linux oh, okay. server because mm. we didn't have and the sand field. move it over. Okay, right. gotcha. So uh, there's a, as mentioned earlier, there, uh, one of the new features in ICE 1.2 is the ability to suppress misbehaving uh, supplicants and uh, do some other types of log suppression. Um, it, you're going to want to enable these. Uh, this is one of the biggest uh, one of the biggest case generators in uh, 1.1 due to uh, you know there were some purging problems, uh, the databases were filling up, or you just had really short log retention. So there's all kinds of data that we were logging to the database, the uh, monitoring and troubleshooting database in 1.1 that really isn't needed. 
So if you're if you get a past authentication, you know, every 15 minutes, but it's the same exact past authentication, we don't need to log that that every time. So now uh, in 1.2, we have the ability to just add increment a counter. So we're just adding a tick mark to that uh, that record, saying, hey, this has happened, you know, 12 times, uh, rather than logging that individually. Right, and what that's doing is, I mean, if if you, let's look at that that kid with the five devices who's rollerblading through campus or rollerblading. If, roller he's, if he's got that many devices, maybe he stole them, maybe. right? I mean, what, <laughs> maybe he's not skateboarding, but do escaping. we have a feature in Ice to track a device as it moves around or uh, like flag for stolen? That'd be kind of cool. I hope not. It's uh, MDM. Okay. <laughs> All right. No, actually, we can discuss that. So. Okay. Well, <laughs> we'll do that on another call. But, uh, you know, when, when you have that many and you're storing basically a 12K record for the same failed attempt over and over and over again every 30 seconds, right? We need to, we need to suppress that and use those counters. We can really, really expand on the, uh, the amount we can store now by just picking up the, the count numbers and not storing each one of those records. So we've got the first one. You can always look at the raw data. And then you've got just a, a ticker, right? You know, this same exact thing happened 150 times in the last two minutes. Right, and we do this for failed authentications. We do this for past authentications. We do this for accounting records. Uh, so we, we've implemented this in, in, in various places. Uh, another really important feature, let's take the kids skateboarding across, right? We talked about um, the iDevices earlier that, you know, I think every 30 seconds when they're receiving a certificate they don't trust. Um, instead of logging that and, and processing that every time, we added the misbehaving supplicant uh, feature in, in 1.2. Uh, if we see the same exact failure multiple times from a device, we'll effectively put that client in jail. Uh, and we start dropping that request uh, as soon as we see it for you know, a certain timeout period by default, 60 minutes. So you won't even try the TLS negotiation. Right, exactly. So sense. we're saving on PSN resources. We're saving on MNT resources. Uh, there's also an option just to not log it. Um, so say you don't want to reject that user every time, so you want them to be able to fix it within that 60-minute period. Uh, you know, you can turn off the reject portion uh, and just disable the logging of that uh, misbehaving supplicant to MNT. Another important thing to note is if there is an authentication success in that time period, it does reset your counter. So if someone does fix it, then you will be okay. Right, right? And, and that could be, um, say you're troubleshooting too, there is a feature that you can go in and disable uh, the misbehaving supplicant feature or the misbehaving NAS feature in, in the case of, say you have a radio shared secret um, configured wrong on one of your uh, switches. Um, you can go in and disable that per MAC address, per user ID, you know, per NAS. So along with those new features on Identity Services Engine uh, itself, you take a look at your switches and your controllers, um, you know, in addition. So on the wireless controllers, there's uh, a client exclusion uh, feature where if a client is attempting to associate uh, and they keep getting rejected, you can exclude them for you know a certain timeout period as well, and that won't even send requests to Identity Services Engine. The controller is not even allowing that device to associate. So that's how you can clean up some noise. Uh, look at roaming, you know, in your wireless network. You do, if you're going from AP to AP to AP, do you need to authenticate every time, or do you want uh, you know seamless roaming to be there? Uh, you know, re you'll reduce the number of uh, authentications going to Identity Services Engine that way. Uh, as well, uh, on the switches, uh, make sure you have you know your quiet period set up. 
so that if a supplicantism is behaving, again, you're not sending those requests to Identity Services Engine. You're stopping it uh, at the NAS level. Yeah, there, there's, uh, there's a whole lot of this we've actually documented in our Cisco Live presentation, so you don't have to try and write down everything from the podcast. And the link to that should be in the notes for the podcast. Is that correct? Yes, that'll be correct. That'll be that'll be there. Um, and um, you know, one thing to point out as well, though, is uh, MNT, the the monitoring and troubleshooting node. If it's a VMware monitoring and troubleshooting node now, you can provision a larger disk, so we can go up to two. I believe it's a two terabyte disk now um, that you can provision for MNT, and then you'll be able to uh, maintain long. You know. Uh, your retention of your logs will be much longer with the larger disk space. Right. And then uh, kind of the last uh, tip we want to go over today is more of an organizational uh, tip. It's not a configure, you know, it's not, it has nothing to do with configuration or maintaining of ICE, but when you're going through the design process uh, and you're coming up with your support process for Identity Services Engine, consider organizational boundaries in your business, right? Is the network admin going to be maintaining Identity Services Engine um, on top of VMware, where the VMware uh, admin is in a different, you know, under a different manager? Uh, is your active? Do you see problems with that? Do we see that when a case comes in, you know, the problem is getting lots of people on the phone, or they they don't know who the person is that's, you know, controlling the VM? No. What's What's worse is it's not necessarily that they don't know whom. Um, in many cases, Jesse and I have been on together. It's been just that, you know, the VMware guys, that is their fiefdom. That is their domain. They control it. They don't even allow the security team or the network team to even look at the properties of a VM, much less ensure that it's configured properly. They just, that's our business, not yours. We, we will meet our SLAs or whatever. And, and what it came down to is that their organization, the VMware team, their practice was to oversubscribe hardware, right? Because that is the guidance that they were provided. You know, this is the way VMware works. We are going to oversubscribe hardware and foo on whatever Cisco and the network and security team are telling us. Oh, so they weren't, by oversubscribing, you mean they were just not giving the VMs the resources that they were due? Absolutely. I see it more often than not. And I think one of the one of the things that our, our AS teams are doing right now, um, they've noticed this as well, is get everybody at the table very early on. To explain why. I right. Guess. Get yeah. everybody a seat at the table during the design phase, during the HLD phase. You know, you're gonna need network admins, active directory admins, VMware admins if you're installing on VMware, help desk and desktop teams, um, security teams if they're if they're separate. But bring everybody to the table early on that has, uh, you know, that, that's going to have, uh, that's going to need to buy in uh, on this process. Well, thanks a lot, guys, for coming in and talking about ICE 1.2. I know we've been very excited about this release, and in the TAC, I mean, we're excited about it. I'm sure the engineering and, and field is all uh, excited about it as well. So we did want to do a podcast to get the word out. Um, Aaron, tell us about a uh, new book you're writing on ICE. Oh, well, um, hopefully I'm not writing another one. I just wrote one actually and it's uh it's on the shelves now it's called the uh, cisco ice for byod and secure unified access Ooh. i know that's a mouthful but uh we wrote uh, another co-author of mine jamie Heary, who's a distinguished engineer at cisco and i wrote uh, wrote this book on 1.2 a little early 
um, because uh, we knew it would be pointless for anyone if we wrote the book on 1.1. You know, it's like we there were so many new features as you just heard. We really wanted to focus on the the new release. So um, that is actually on the shelf now. We actually beat the product to market by uh, about a month. And that's available through Cisco Press. Uh, Cisco Press, Amazon, you can get it, uh, Barnes and Noble, anywhere. Very it's, cool. So there's no excuse for anyone not being uh, really up to speed on ICE 1.2 even before they deploy. You've got this podcast. We've got the show notes. You can go to right. CiscoLive365.com and watch Aaron's presentations on ICE. Uh, we've got the release notes, and we've got the tack here to help you if you do have trouble. Absolutely. Well, thanks a lot, guys, for coming in and, and talking to our customers about ICE 1.2. Uh, if you have questions for these folks about what you heard today or you have suggestions for other shows that you'd like the Tax Security Podcast to do, please email us at securityshow at cisco.com. We make sure to reply to every email that we get. You can also check out this episode as well as other episodes at www.cisco.com slash go slash tax security podcast. But let's face it, you can just Google Cisco Tax Security Podcast and you'll get to our page as well. We don't have any other... Uh, any other competing podcast that could claim to be us. So you're probably going to get the right hit. I think it'd be cool if we did, though. It would be. Yeah. Challenge accepted. Go, Challenge put out there. Okay. Yeah. Thanks a lot for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thank you, guys. So just breaking out of character here. So uh, what is M&T? Uh, monitoring and troubleshooting. Okay. It's our logging node. That's awesome. Teenage monitor and troubleshooting.